Hi, I'm Tristan Miller, and you're listening to Positive and Negative, a podcast about the intersectionality between mental health and the arts. This week I speak with comedian and writer Christian Finnegan about his experience with mental health, as well as living with family members who have mental health issues. Here he is talking about the importance of structure within one's life. If you don't have structure in your life, make it. Mm. Make it. Just, you know, even, and it doesn't have to be like punishing yourself. That's the thing too, is that I, I'm trying to not think of structure as punishment. I'm trying to think mm. of it as a reward. Yeah. But it's like, I get to spend the next hour writing jokes. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, when I used to temp for years, I wrote so much. Mm-hmm. I, because I had a blog at the time, it was in the early days of Blogspot, mm-hmm. you know, blogger. Mm-hmm. And I wrote so much because my choice was to either write on my blog or do the work I was getting paid to do. <laughs> well, clearly that's not going to happen. The minute... The writing became the job. Yeah. It started to feel like a burden on some level, and I would uh-huh. find ways out of doing it, you know, and, and and budget your time. Even if it's like, all right, from 7.30 to 9.30, I'm going to play PlayStation. That's what mm-hmm. I'm going to do. But just give yourself that structure mm-hmm. if, if your life isn't already forcing it on you. This podcast is sponsored in part by Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Tristan J. Miller to receive early access to episodes of Positive and Negative as well as bonus content, such as my audiobook, as well as archives to previous podcasts I produced. You also receive early access to my video essays and other audio content. We're also sponsored by Company of Fools. They're doing a series of live stream play readings. You can go to companyoffoolstheater.com for more information. We're also sponsored by Pop Psych 101, a podcast that discusses representations of mental health in popular media. All right, let's get to this interview. I did some quick research, and you went to NYU for acting and playwriting, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I went there as an actor, and then halfway through, I switched to playwriting. Okay. Uh, I think my degree just says theater. Okay. <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, why uh, switch to stand-up, and how and when? Um, I think that I was not perfectly happy doing either of those. I mean, I loved the idea of being a writer. I didn't enjoy being an actor. Uh, I didn't really? like what the life was going to require. Mm. I didn't enjoy, you know, when when you go to NYU, uh, Tisch School of the Arts, <laughs> the way it would work is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you would go to your acting conservatory, which mm-hmm. I took at Atlantic Theater Company. And then Tuesday and Thursday, you would have your academic classes. And I found that I enjoyed my academic classes more than my theater class, which is ostensibly what I was there for. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I was like, okay, clearly this isn't really working for me. And so then I switched to playwriting and I took mostly a lot of night classes up at Playwrights Horizons up on 42nd Street um, and then took my day classes at NYU. And then by the time I graduated, I had kind of even drifted away from that. My senior year, I was I was uh, interning at the Village Voice, mm-hmm. which was a viable publication at the time. Um, like an actual <laughs> physical place that you could yeah, go yeah, yeah, as opposed yeah. to eight bloggers. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, and I was doing some freelance journalism and, and that's what I thought I was going to be a writer. Yeah. Um, and then I discovered that I didn't write anything. <laughs> um, 
I, I worked in publishing. I mean, I bartended and waited tables for a couple of years right after college. And then I got a job at a literary agency mm-hmm. uh, as an assistant lit agent. And um, I thought that I was going to, you know, write the next American novel or, you know, be a cultural critic. And, and I did some of that, some yeah. freelance cultural, you know, movie reviewing and music reviewing and stuff like that. But I just, you know... Part of it is that when you work at a lit agency, at least doing what I was doing, you would have to deal with what they called the slush pile, which mm-hmm. was all the unsolicited mm-hmm. submissions of you know I'm and the guy I worked for was a very old uh like Ken Follett, the spy novelist, was mm-hmm. like his big client. Yeah. And uh and so all of the submissions we would get would be like, I'm a retired Air Force colonel and I've written this novel, yeah. you know, called The Belly of the Beast. Yeah. And, you know, or some something <laughs> yeah, yeah, dumb yeah. like that. And and it really just reading all of this just dead paper yeah just really dulled any creative impulses i had and wow. so i i found that i just wasn't writing anything mm-hmm. and so i kind of and i did miss performing i didn't miss being an actor but i missed performing mm-hmm. and so i kind of stumbled into stand up in the sense that i i went to some poetry readings i thought like maybe that's what i would do and then i quickly realized no <laughs> um <laughs> And at the time, it was, this was, you know, when you were probably five years old, I, the late 90s, um, I was, there was the uh, nascent New York alternative performance oh, scene. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Places like Surf Reality and Collective Unconscious down the Lower East Side and uh, eating at Luna Lounge was sort of a big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the place where I got into comedy. And yeah. and, uh, and it was nice because it was like a combination where you're writing, but you're also performing. Mm, and mm-hmm. it's if you want to be a writer, but you have no discipline, stand-up <laughs> is perfect. a great. Because it's like, oh, wow, I can write this and find out tonight whether it's worth continuing. Absolutely. Do you um, have any desire to write a play at any point again? I absolutely do. Yeah. Will I ever do it? Who knows? <laughs> but, I mean, I, sure. I, I found that... Without deadlines, mm. I I struggle. Yeah, I struggle just doing things under my own volition. What do you think you know? that is? Um, I mean, I al- I've always had those issues. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, I was always the oh god, I have a paper due. I'm gonna write all night and finish mm-hmm. it. And I would end up being really happy with what I'd done, but I've just never been the kind of person who had that sort of discipline of like, I'm going to write two hours a day. And by mm-hmm. the end of the six months, I will have my 80,000 word draft. Like I wish I could be that person. But, um, and I, you know, I'm not, I haven't given up on that necessarily. Yeah. I feel like I'm maybe a little closer to being that person now than I was a few years ago. But, um, but yeah, mostly just, I've, I've never been able to sort of uh, be incremental Mm-hmm. And uh, slow and steady with my creativity, you know, it's it's a there's a sort of a romance to thinking of like, no sure. man, I just wait till the muse gets <laughs> yeah. me. It's like, well, that's not what real artists do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you have like four albums, and so how long did that take? If you're like, or did it all come to you at once? And how? Well, did no, you I mean that's prepare? what's so great about stand up though, is because it kind of it's bits and pieces, you yeah. know. And and then over time, you can it's almost like a Voltron type situation sure. where it's like oh this chunk can go next to this chunk mm-hmm. or you know this can go before that and and before you know it you start to build up time and and um and then before you know it you're like oh wow I have a new 45 and yeah. I have a new hour and I'm ready to maybe record an album I I wish that I had, I feel like I could have easily had six albums by now if I had mm. been a little bit more uh organized and mm. uh you know, uh, overt with yeah. my intentions about it. Does that 
does that nag at you? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and part of it too is that I kept waiting. I'm still of an era, you know, there's a, I'm 46 and there's an era of people that mm-hmm. I refer to, people about maybe five years younger than me and five years older than me mm-hmm. that I refer to as tweeners, where we're not mm-hmm. old enough to be above technology. Yeah. Like we're not old enough to be like, oh, I don't care about social media. Like I don't, I'm not interested in that, but I'm not young enough to know it intuitively. Yes. Like I I constantly feel like somebody's trying to speak a second language when I, you know, operate in the way the world is now. Mm -hmm. And I come from an era, and I remember Patton Oswalt giving a speech. I don't remember it was, maybe is it just for laughs or something, Mm -hmm. where he was talking about his peers, uh, you know, and even though he's older than I am. I'm, I think he was talking about people like me who who kind of wait around for someone to tell them that they can yeah. do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whereas I feel like younger people just instinctively know, like, no, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do it myself. You yeah. know, and 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 uh, and I feel like with my, the last couple of albums, I felt like I was I was wait. Well, this last one is the first time where I was like, no, I want to record an album. I'm not going to wait for somebody to ask me. Mm-hmm. And I approached this record label and said, like, hey, do you want to do an album with me? And they said, yes. You know, um, And I, I'd like to think that that will be the case from now on, that I will Good. do it when I'm ready as opposed to, like, waiting till waiting <laughs> till I'm hot because that probably won't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how do you feel about making that revelation, like, now in, like when you're 46? Well, you know, there's that famous George Bernard Shaw quote, uh, youth is wasted on the young. Yes. <laughs> which, you know, I, it, it's true. I mean, I, I wish I had known some of these things earlier and mm-hmm. I, I wish, but you can't, you can't fake wisdom. You yeah. either acquire it or you don't. And mm-hmm. generally you only acquire it by failing. Yeah. You know, you only acquire it by taking it on the chin a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think cer- some people are just wired in a way that th- they they don't struggle with that kind of thing to the, the extent that, that I do. Um, they're just much more proactive and put themselves out there, uh, you know, or they don't wait for permission quite mm-hmm. as much as I feel like I have a habit of doing. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, what was the scene like uh, here? Like, I, I want... I would love some stories about... In New York? Yeah, in New York, when you were well, starting I mean, stand-up. You know, and it's it's easy... In many ways, it was better, but in many ways, it was worse. I mean, the the thing that I do feel frustrated for younger comics about, and I mm-hmm. say this as someone who's married to a venue owner, and obviously I'm thrilled with the community that's developed around QED, yeah. is that the scene, quote-unquote scene, mm-hmm. has just it's so balkanized now because of the financial realities of living in New York now. How do you mean balkanized? I don't know that, the word. Uh, it's all separated from okay. from each other. Like there's a Brooklyn scene, there's a Queen scene. You know? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, in when I started, it was all Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously there there were le- legit clubs, but all of the cool bar shows that yeah. you'd want to do were within about a fifteen wa- wa- fifteen minute walk of each other. Oh wow! And so you would see the same people at all these places. Mm-hmm. And you could also hit more bar shows yeah. on, in a given night, where it's really hard to hit multiple bar shows oh, yeah. in New York. Because I, I've always found, you know, I, I started as just an alt bar show comic. I was always the most. I've still, after twenty two years of doing comedy, I don't know, am I a sort of clubby alt comic or am I an alt club comic? <laughs> you I know, see. I, I yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. I kind of awkwardly <laughs> exist between those worlds. Yeah. Um, but I primarily perform in clubs now just because it's it's easier. 
um, in terms of getting avails and working yeah. in multiple sets. Mm-hmm. But I find that performing at clubs is better for your performing, but performing at bar shows is better for your writing. Sure. And so I try to do more bar shows. I've been trying the last year or two to get to get back and do more bar shows. Um, but they're really hard to do more than one in a night because yeah. they're, they're all over fucking town. Yeah. And you, you don't, there's, it's all very nebulous about when, where in the lineup you're going to be a lot of mm-hmm. times, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas at a club, you're like, you know, I'm going on at, at 8.50, yep. that's my spot. And maybe they will be five minutes late, but it won't be much more than that. Yeah. Um, so. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I hadn't really thought of that because I am coming up in where it's all. Exactly. You know, you know. So I would have never thought about it. that. Sounds very convenient and nice. Yeah, I mean, also, there, there's a downside a to it more. too, yeah. in the sense that you'd have the same comics coming to every damn show. Yeah, and so it was a little harder sometimes to carve out any sort of identity or mm-hmm. get stage time because mm-hmm. everybody wanted to get on the same shows. Yeah. Um. So I mean, there's obviously pros and cons. Yeah. But uh, that's the one thing when I when I think about when I came up, I felt very fortunate that a lot of the shows I wanted to do were near each other, mm-hmm. you know, and you could hang out and go from one to the other mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff like that. Growing, coming up and coming up in New York, was there any sort of, like, how did it feel as a young person? Um, were you, like, anxious about everything? Like, I know right now there's a lot of anxiety going through young people who live here because the, everything is so yeah. nebulous. But did you feel more secure or were you an anxious person growing up? I don't know. I mean, I was very eager to get here. And, and I think that having lived here during college, mm, mm-hmm. it was like a much smoother transition than for most people because yeah. I'd already been here, you know, and yeah. I, I lived in a dorm the first two years that I lived here. And, mm-hmm. and, and so I didn't have to tackle all of it all at once. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I could take in the sensory overload of just day-to-day life in New York mm-hmm. without also the pressure of, oh my God, I have to find a shitty room in mm-hmm. somebody's Bushwick apartment at the same <laughs> yeah. time. You know what I mean? That I yeah. was able to kind of deal with those things in steps. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel, you know, rather fortunate. And also when I graduated, you know, temp work was available. I like see. I worked as a temp for a long time when I first started doing stand-up. I quit my lit agency job and I, you know, was was temping for a couple the first few years that I was doing stand up, and temp work was available. And mm-hmm. I, I get the feeling that probably is not now. Not as much, so you know. No. And certainly, on the on the downside, you certainly weren't able to do anything from your home. Yeah. There was no there was no yeah. working from home back then. You had to put on your damn khakis and <laughs> yeah, walk into Goldman Sachs or whatever. Yeah. Do you? get nervous going on stage still or did you ever I get nervous I get nervous if I have to only do four or five minutes yeah because yeah. I'm not certain comics are built a certain way mm. uh, like somebody like Mike Kaplan who oh, yeah. is great and he is factory built for like late night sets yes because it's like 20 second joke 15 second joke 10 second joke you know mm-hmm. it's just like boom boom boom, boom. boom. Yep. if you're a little more narrative in your approach it's hard you know mm-hmm. if I'm doing a four and a half minute set on a late night show, well, that's like a bit and a half yeah. maybe. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And and so I get nervous when I have to do that. If somebody says get up and do an hour, I don't get as nervous. Yeah. With stand-up comes like a lot of highs and lows with, you know, with career and being booked and not being booked and all this stuff because it's, you know, it's a fickle um, business. Has there been a point where you haven't felt good about what was happening in your career and therefore not good about yourself? Because it is very personal. Yeah. I mean, I, 
without getting into it too much, I'm sort of in that place now. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, not not 2020 so much. I mm-hmm. I've made a very conscious decision to fake being happy right now, <laughs> and and I say that, yeah, and I think it's working. Yeah. On some level. Yeah. That fake it till you make it mm. thing. I I feel like the last few years I was in kind of a vicious cycle of things not going well and then me being, well, then why fucking try? Uh-huh. Which would make things not go well, which would be mm-hmm. like, well, then why fucking try? It starts becoming a reciprocal relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like for a long time I was I was punishing myself for not being something as opposed to just enjoying being something different you know Mm -hmm. um that's a little vague but i'm i'm just trying to you know my you know everyone has their mania manifest in different ways Mm -hmm. and mine manifests itself into just lost hours you know that i will just go into sort of a k-hole emotionally and Mm -hmm. like you know will stare at the wall for six hours and (laughs) things like that yeah um like I don't get manic, I don't get really furious or or, or things like that. I yeah. just get very flat and I get very sort of reclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am tr- trying to just overtly decide to not have that be the case. Mm-hmm. And it's already kind of yielding some dividends, just you know, in the sense that I'm planning my days at night. You mm-hmm. know, like at the before I go to bed, I have this like planner and and I have all these things I want to accomplish this year, professional, personal with my wife or whatever. And I have them sort of color coded in a planner and, and I am not an organized person. I'm an extremely disorganized person, which means that in a way I pick the exact wrong career yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I, you know, because disorganized people mm-hmm. should pick structured careers. Absolutely. And people who are eternally structured, should find more creative things to do to sort of counterbalance mm-hmm. that. Um, so I'm trying to to really uh, make. I'm trying to just enjoy days and and have days be, feel productive and to be able to cross mm-hmm. things off a list and and not, you know, attack myself quite so much mm-hmm. for all the things I'm not. You do, know. Do you have a really loud um, inner critic? I mean, I used to do a joke about how everybody thinks they're their own worst critic, and mm. that's kind of an arrogant thing. Like, clear, surely there's someone <laughs> yeah, who hates you more than you hate you. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But, um... Oh, that's fun. I mean, I don't know. Is it is it an inner critic, or is it just the truth? <laughs> <laughs> I think that answers my question. <laughs> but uh, do you get down on you? Does it become a cycle? Well, it there? becomes it becomes a why bother thing. Uh-huh. And it's not so much an inner critic. It's just a... Fuck it? I, I, see, I see where this is going to go. Yeah. I tend to be pretty good. I... If I have a superpower, mm-hmm. it's being able to look at a situation and being able to identify exactly how and why and to what extent it's going to suck. <laughs> like, I'm I'm uncanny at it. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Of course. Then almost on some level, I kind of want to make it happen to yeah. show how good I am. At, like, I, <laughs> I knew this was going to be bad. Wasn't this bad? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and, you know, there are certain things that I just can't. I think I've said, you know, about a thousand times. But there are certain structural things that are beyond my control 
you know, cultural things. And it's really hard to talk about this without lapsing into sad middle-aged white guy who yeah. feels like mm, things are so hard for me right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reality is, and I don't, it, my feeling is culturally, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. Yeah. And it just sucks that maybe I'm an egg. Yeah. Do, in this you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 it's, you know, because I get writing packets, you know, my manager will be like, mm-hmm. hey, so-and-so is, you know, they're looking. And if it's a brand new show, mm-hmm. then I feel like, oh, okay, I maybe have a chance of getting this job. But if it's a pre-existing show and yeah. you're looking for one new writer, yeah. it's not going to be me, yeah, you know, yeah. and I don't and I don't take that personally. It is just the way of the world. It's not even just that I'm a white male or whatever. It's I'm, I'm 46 years old. Mm-hmm. I bring my own baggage. If I wouldn't hire me, I mean, <laughs> I, I sold a show to A&E a few years ago yeah. that was a very fun debacle. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was in the position of having to read writing packets and hire people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, give me the choice between a 46-year-old white dude mm-hmm. who's probably going to come in and not be as, feel like this is beneath him on some level and yeah. not put in the time and feel a little, you know, and treat me like not want to be the employee because mm-hmm. we've been doing open mics together for you. You know, we started, yeah. you know what I mean? Or the hungry 24 year old, you know, be it a, a man, woman, white person, black person, whatever. Yeah. But just that young, hungry, I'm going to make, I'm going to hustle. Yeah. I want that other person, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And, and so I don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. I get it. But I'm trying to not let that you know, curdle my desire to at least enjoy. Mm-hmm. Because the reason I got into this, I think the reason most of us got into this is because we like writing funny things. Or, yeah. you know, we like, of course, performing is great. And, you know, I do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing better than just coming up with something that you're excited about. Oh, I mean, that's absolutely. It. Yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. you know. And so uh, regardless of what happens, I want to be in a position where once a week, I've written something that makes me giggle or smile mm-hmm. and excited. And I have a general faith that if, if I think if you do that for a few months in a row, that good things happen. Mm-hmm. That's that's the idea, at least. All right. But did you have a hard time growing up? Were you? Yeah. I mean, we all do. Well, but, sure. Um, but yeah. Uh, the act of birth is traumatic. We all yes, have that. Yes, yes, yes. No, I, I did. You know, and sometimes it's hard to say it in a succinct way because I haven't really found a way to talk about it on stage. Mm-hmm. I, I did a, I, I took a show to Edinburgh uh, a couple mm. years ago and I talked about some of it then. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I had two brothers who both passed away and mm-hmm. uh, and my mother had uh, was a borderline personality disorder. Ah, that's, and, that's a uh, lot. Yeah, and she, and we were not, you know, we were estranged for many days extended periods of my life yeah um and so uh so you know yes <laughs> the yeah, short yeah. answer is yes <laughs> but everybody has their their shit yeah of course you know. um do you worry that um some of that stuff is genetic or do you yes yeah yes um 100 mm-hmm. um well first of all a lot of the things that i struggle with in terms of what I call, you know, wasted hours, you know, yeah. or, or dead time is something my dad dealt deals with as mm-hmm. well. Like my dad, you know, is clinically depressed as well. Um, well, not my mom was in, whatever. Mm-hmm. She he's had his own issues. Um, but he my dad is like a normal person who 
normal, whatever. I'm using the wrong terminology. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. people tell me all the wrong words I'm using. It's okay. <laughs> but my dad is a a functioning member of society yes. who has struggled with depression. Yes. Where my mother was a non-functioning member of society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, let's yes. put it that way. Um, but my dad, when he was a when he drank, you know, he he quit drinking when I was really young. But he would tell me that he would just go to a bar and he would just sit there and multiple times bartenders would come up and ask him if he was okay. And he'd be like, wow. yeah, I'm fine. Like what, what's wrong? He's like, well, it's just cause you've been staring at the wall for three hours or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, mostly cause he had to handle my mother who like, I describe my mother as like a downed power line and you're standing in a puddle of water. That's uh-huh. how it feels like all the time. Like <laughs> sure. just like this could this is gonna get weird at any minute, mm-hmm. you know. Um mm-hmm. she was mm-hmm. constantly like suing people. Like that was one of her things is she was uh-huh. uh just you know, either government agencies or local video stores. <laughs> just she's constantly <laughs> suing or being sued by yeah. multiple people. Okay. But um but my dad, when I was a kid, when when they were together, my dad would go into the bathroom every night with a six pack of Tall Boys. Oh my gosh! And just pace back and forth and drink the entire six pack. Oh like, like... <laughs> oh. And you know, I didn't know that as a kid. I just like would walk in and there'd be that that gross, stale Budweiser smell. Mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. the stale, cheap, warm beer yeah. is the grossest smell in the world. But. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so but he then was able to move on with his life and yeah. and all that. Uh, are you? Do you have that same kind of tendency? Have you ever? I do. Well, it's funny because one of the things that I do feel like has held me back, and it's strange to say this as someone who is in a risky career, mm-hmm. but I feel like I have stopped myself from being as risky as I should be. Mm-hmm. Because I was so concerned, you know, because I do know it's like, you know, I've got this woman's DNA floating around in my bloodstream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, my older brother had, you know, he was a totally functioning person, but he mm-hmm. had a little bit of that in his bloodstream, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I was so concerned about not being that. Yeah. That I didn't realize that I was my dad. <laughs> like, I, I was so worried about not being my mother is that I didn't realize that I was like, oh, my God, I've taken on my dad's sort of quiet desperation, <laughs> sad sack crap. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that it's – it's. but, again, it's it, it's that trap you can fall into, at least that I have fallen into at times in my life, where you concentrate so much on not being that guy mm-hmm. that you don't really focus on, well, what guy do you want to be? Yeah. You know? Hmm. Yeah, that seems to be kind of a defining, at least with what you're talking to me about now. It's like you seem to worry about what could be rather I'm than... I'm paranoid of someone yeah. thinking I'm crazy. Really? You know, or of, of seeming crazy, of being irrational and or or absurd uh-huh. or ridiculous, which is, I don't feel that on stage. It's just yeah. off stage, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Do you think that's why you chose a ridiculous you like the job of a stand-up is to be ridiculous for amount of minutes and that way you can control that perception i guess i don't know i mean i've never been a particularly you know i'm not an absurd yeah wacky comic by sure. nature but um i don't know it, it, it's it's strange because yeah i mean it's not as if i went into a career in bookkeeping yeah uh 
so clearly it hasn't been that much of a bugaboo. <laughs> but uh, but it, it is definitely just in conversation and in, in relationships and things mm-hmm. like that that I've been super paranoid about, like, what if I am crazy yeah. and no one has told me? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I think the, um, the self-awareness proves that you're at least functional crazy, at the very least. I guess, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that is the thing of, like, people who are genuinely, like, lost don't realize they are. And well, that's that, very that hard. Well, that Salvador Dali quote, uh, mm. I'm paraphrasing, yeah. the difference between me and an insane person is that I'm not insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you consider yourself, like, a, a person that deals with depression? Well, it's hard... It's hard to know now when I feel like sometimes I feel like the the pendulum to people talking about their mental health mm-hmm. issues has swung so far. Yeah. That it's like I sometimes not that I don't believe it yeah. when people say it, but sometimes I feel like are you just fluffing yourself hmm. to you know or is it yeah, there's a difference. Do, be- do, you, do you feel left out if you don't claim to be <laughs> depressed in 2020? Yeah, you that's know? the other thing. Of like, w- there's depression and then there's like observing life, I think. Yeah. Like, or I something mean, bad happens to you, which can cause depression, but that's a reasonable response. And then there's exactly. clinical depression. Yes. I, th- I, think I, have, I think I have bad emotional habits Okay. that I have to be aware of. Uh, but, you know, I've seen people who are, you know, really clinically yeah. mentally ill yeah. and I'm not that mm-hmm. you know I don't feel that okay um but sometimes you know and again I it's hard cuz I don't you don't want to be like hey suck it up pussy you know yeah, walk yeah, it yeah, off yeah. you know but sometimes I feel like god first of all I feel like mental health has in many ways become the new dog ate my homework you <laughs> sure, see a sure. lot of people leaning on that now to get out of shit that they committed to doing it's yeah. like oh i'm having a bad mental health day it's like are you yeah. or did you just not get your shit together or and this is a culturally but and, and it was like yeah. well well that that's why i couldn't get my shit together it's like okay but still we have to fulfill our commitments yeah like, yeah, yeah you you said you said we were going to do this yeah and i'm sorry that you're feeling bad mm-hmm. but it's like the world has to run yes and you know and i'm a little more sensitive to this now that qed is in the picture because of clearly course. you know and because it drives my wife, it makes my wife crazy, which sure. then makes me crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, the, one of the hardest things about my day-to-day life mm-hmm. and is really just because it gives me an ulcer when she gets upset mm-hmm. um, is that there's 30 people on any given day who can ruin her day <laughs> between, you know, performers, employer, employees, uh, you know, people, d- the guy delivering the soda, the, yeah. you know, the, there's so many people who can just fuck up her day. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and a, not, not certainly not the soda guy, but among, <laughs> among the more artistic side of things, there've been a lot of situations where people are like, I just, I can't, I can't do my show tonight. I have to cancel it. And it's like, well, well you made a commitment. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, you, you, you might, it's completely unknowable. That's the frustrating thing about mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. that I don't, I would never doubt anyone, mm-hmm. but the not, it can't, they can't all be legit. Sure, <laughs> like, sure, You know, sure, if sure, it happens a sure. hundred times, they can't all be legit. And if they are all legit, mm-hmm. then holy shit, shut, shut America down. Because... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I understand. And I would say that like, um, I, I, 
I would say I half agree with you as someone who is like has a more severe condition and is diagnosed and like sometimes it does get in the way and like but it's I would say that personally I have enough discipline to a lot of the times push through and also I would say when you're specifically dealing with stand-up comedians there seems to be a tendency to like you say lean on it and also not properly treat it right and I think that's when you lose a little sympathy from me. It's like, well, what are you doing to actively right, combat right, it? Exactly. Are you... And I was speaking to a friend earlier today, and I was like, I honestly feel like a lot of the reasons people don't have success is a lack of discipline. And she brought up, or like, you know, mental illness, you know. And I'm like, yeah, but the way you combat mental illness, I think, is through discipline. And yeah. part of that is like you're disciplined and going to therapy and your discipline like right, it's not like right. a, it's a health thing it's like if your doctor said you had high cholesterol you're gonna stop eating eggs or whatever it is right. you know what i mean yeah and, and also and again it, it's it's a it's a touchy thing to wade into because of i don't want to try to shame anybody who's mm-hmm. going through something yeah but you know there's certain people who are just a little bit full of shit. Yeah, I also think this. <laughs> yeah, I also think that this. Um, and a lot, I'm sorry, just real quick. A lot of, a lot of, especially people in our community, uh-huh. lean into it as almost an identity. Mm-hmm. That's like, I'm a fuck up. That's yeah. who I am, and that's part of me being a creative person and deal with it because that's what makes me a genius. It's like yeah. as if somehow, if they actually did follow through in the things they're gonna follow through on, that would make them less artistic on yeah. some level. Yeah. Did you uh, feel that way when you were a young person? Did you identify as a fuck up? Because that's always been there. Yeah, probably yeah. on some level. Yeah. You know, I, I I think yeah, some of it is a youth thing as yeah. well. You know, that you don't understand sometimes the the uh, the ripple effects mm-hmm. of your decisions. Yeah. You know. Um. But I'm sorry, I interrupted you there. I can't remember what I was gonna say, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> um. But yeah. Oh, uh, right. You're talking about like everyone's kind of full of shit. Yeah. It's also like. <sighs> I don't know how to put the, it. It's a difficult, as you say, well, it just, to it, wait it, into. It, it just, it flattens everything. It also you know? makes the people who actually have very severe mental health issues, like it. You're right. It puts waters, them under scrutiny. Yeah. And it also like waters that down. And there's a lot of talk about like anxiety and specifically social anxiety and like depression and like anxiety and depression are the comic colds of mental health issues because everyone is going to experience depression at some point in their life due to circumstance it's only when like for example i think a really good example is uh, with gary goleman and how extreme Mm -hmm. his depression was i'm like that's he's sick yeah whereas if it's like you just feel kind of bummed out today for no reason everyone has those days and it's really difficult kind of parsing it out i would also say that like like you said i think artists really lean into it and it's i i don't know how i feel about that because of the fact that like there are also bankers who you know have to deal with this stuff yeah but but that's kind of what i was saying before is that sometimes i envy those people who work in a in an industry where they're Mm, not as mm. tolerant of it in a way (laughs) because they know that they can't they can't be full of crap yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they they have to they have to th- that report has to be filed. Mm-hmm. This has to get done. You know, and I don't know. It's it, like I said. It's it's hard. I, I sort of don't like the things that are coming out of my mouth right now because I don't I want to question anyone's experiences of things. But I've just seen it 
I've seen it abused. Yeah. You know, and a, and a lot, and even before kind of it became mental health, when I was mm-hmm. sort of coming up in the 90s, it was, there was sort of a, some of the same type excuses, but it wasn't really focused on mental health mm-hmm. as so much it was focused on just kind of being a rebel. Yeah. You know, as sort of an anarchist. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that, yeah. that, that, and, and it was, j- the same kind of person who was full of shit about that yeah, is now this... in 2020. This is their new thing to be full of shit about. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> always something. There's always something. Um, but has the like staring at the wall, what one might call depression, like stopped you from? Has it much like what we're talking about now? Has it stopped you going to shows? Has it stopped you writing jokes? Has it ever gotten in the way? Yeah. Well, it's a reward on some level. Uh, it's it's a way of being the fuck up that I want to be. Sure. Some, it, it's a way of confirming that I'm <laughs> the piece of shit that I suspected that I was. Yeah. You know, on some level. You know, I've always had weight issues. You know, mm-hmm. I, I lost like 90 pounds like 10 years ago. And mm-hmm. uh, and now I've gained about half of it back. But I, I, my, I'm like an accordion. I just get fat and skinny, <laughs> fat and skinny. Yeah. And I remember... When I before I was able able to take off any significant amount of weight, I would go to the Kennedy Fried Chicken across uh-huh. the street from my apartment, and I would be standing in line, being like, "Why do you do this to yourself, you mm-hmm. piece of shit, you fat motherfucker?" Mm-hmm. You know, but before I'd even ordered, mm-hmm. there was nothing stopping me from just walking <laughs> out. Yeah, but it was like, "No, you deserve this." And sometimes I feel like I will try to beat my positive impulses mm-hmm. it's like like i want to win over you it's like <laughs> oh you think you're gonna get me to eat the salad fuck you watch this yeah, yeah <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean and that and and again it's like you could say that's a form of mental illness or you could just say that that's a a negative p- emotional habit yeah 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 you know um where do you think that comes from i don't know i mean you know there's survivor's guilt and mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. um you know, it, it's certainly a lot of, you know, my, my younger brother died in 2001 and my older brother died in 2008. Um, mm-hmm. And so this stuff certainly predates that. So I can't mm-hmm. blame it completely on that. But certainly when my, my younger brother had been sick his entire life, he had a heart transplant when he was like oh. three years old and, and had like multiple surgeries and he died when he was 19. And, oh. you know, he he was always the sick kid. Yeah. And uh, and so that wasn't it was grueling. It was a grind. But when he passed away, it wasn't a big shock. I mean, we yeah. had years to sort of wait for it to happen. Whereas mm-hmm. my older brother just had a heart attack just one night. Just just poof. Gone. Oh, wow. Um, and so it was a very two very different experiences. Yeah. You know, um, and I don't know which I'd prefer, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> sure. But I will say that my older brother's death affected me in a way that I was not anticipating Mm -hmm. that I always he was only two years older than me but he was much more you know he had a he had a wife they were trying to get I wasn't married at the time but uh, they were trying to have I I, I'm sorry I was married by the time he got by the time he passed away but anyway Mm -hmm. I always kind of saw myself as like I'm the rebel and Mm -hmm. he's the one he's the clock punching fucking yeah yeah yeah. he's the the guy who's living the normal life and mm-hmm. I and I'm in New York City doing cool gritty stuff and and when he died I was no longer that 
anymore. Mm. You know, I was then I was the only kid, and yeah. and I had to deal with my mother, who I hadn't dealt with in years, uh-huh. and uh, and I felt very earthbound. Mm-hmm. I felt very brought back into the muck. Mm-hmm. Whereas I felt like I was able to kind of like skate over it, you know, that mm-hmm. I, I I live in New York, man. I don't live by society's conventions, blah, blah, blah. And once I was the only one, I felt like I aged like 20 years <laughs> in a year. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I felt very old very quickly. Yeah, you're the oldest now. Yeah. And and just, it it had a weird effect on me. And, and uh, it it's something that I still am sort of coming to terms with a little bit. In terms of what's perception, what's reality, you mm-hmm. know, um, it's I try to not overemphasize the importance of it, mm-hmm. but it certainly had an effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the losing a bunch of weight, was it like a health issue or like did you, were you just sick of it? No, I mean, feel- I don't know why. It's funny, you know, because I, I will have these bursts in my life of a real dedication. Yeah. You know, uh, I probably tried to go on a diet. 30 times in my Mm -hmm. adult life before this particular time. And then it just took for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. I mean, part of it is that Cambry, my wife, kind of dragged me into it, kicking Mm -hmm. and screaming. Mm -hmm. And I resisted and resisted and resisted. And then my will took over, Mm -hmm. you know, and and without her having been kind of like, I remember one year, because I would complain all the time. I would go to try to buy a shirt i would have to go to old navy and hope that they had a double xl that was Uh my only chance of not having to go to a big and tall store Uh because i was never big enough for the big and tall stores i was like right in that weird little valley Mm, a tweener again yeah um i say this to my my therapist all the time that Uh like the story of my life is one foot in one foot out (laughs) um but I would have to try on shows, and it would. It's still. I mean, to this day, putting on clothing in a in a changing room, like nothing fuels the self loathing more yeah. than that. And um, I don't know why, but she she bought me for one year for Christmas. She bought me the South Beach Diet book, which mm. is a little. At the time, I was like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> but she had heard me just miserable yeah, yeah, and complaining yeah, all the time, and yeah. and so. For whatever reason, it was the year before we got married too. So um, it, for whatever reason, for that year it took, and I, I it got like extreme. You know, I I went from being, you know, a, a heavy guy to, and this is when I was on VH1, and to people and on early message boards pre Twitter or whatever. Yeah. Accusing me of being on coke all the time, no. like constantly. <laughs> of course, of course. Oh, he's so clearly a cokehead. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Like, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> So you're in therapy now. I've been in therapy for a long time. I'm actually kind of weaning off of it in a way. First of all, just financially, it just starts yeah. to feel. Um, I really like my therapist as a guy, and I probably use therapy a little different than most people. I just like having somebody that I can bitch to who doesn't have any stake. I think that that's a lot of people do that, yeah. I think. I mean, I always try to convince my wife. She's just too busy. Mm. But I, I say, you don't understand and it's a selfish when I say it to her. It's selfish because yeah. it's like I'm kind of that for her. And yeah. I, but I tell her, I was like, of course I'll listen to you if you're having issues or whatever. But just know that I am not objective in this. Yeah. My goal 
is to make you stop and leave me alone <laughs> Do you, yeah, yeah, on yeah, some yeah, level. Yeah. It's like <laughs> my goal is to say whatever it's going to take so that you're happy and mm-hmm. I can go about my day. Yes. Whereas if I'm paying somebody to listen to me, I don't feel any compunction about it. Like I am just going to roll around in the muck for 45 minutes and you yeah. have to hear it because you fucking, yeah, I, <laughs> I gave you money. <laughs> yeah. You're my employee at this point. Yes. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times that a lot of people get like scared kind of of their therapists of like, Oh, I want to make sure they think I'm doing okay, which I'm like that's the opposite of the you know. Point. Yeah, Josh Comer's, uh, who's a, a old friend of mine, he's a great joke writer. He's mm-hmm. written for uh, Jimmy Fallon and Killing mm-hmm. and, and Conan and a bunch of other shows. Mm-hmm. He used to a joke that I love about how he's a real cheapskate, and before he'd go to therapy to get his money's worth, he'd like stare in the mirror and be like, "You suck, you fucking suck." <laughs> <laughs> like, just, you know, you gotta gotta make it worth it, you know. <laughs> It's very funny. Uh, yeah, it is really helpful to have that objective point of view. Um, do you think you carry that with you a little bit more when you can come out of therapy? Do you find that you're a little bit more clear-headed about your life? No, and that's why I, I'm trying to use it more. I mean, I need it on some some days. I just need it. Somebody, mm-hmm. I just I need to be able to bitch about my life mm-hmm. and not feel like I'm burdening someone. Because, you know, that will that will kick in whenever, I, you know, because I have friends will go out and have drinks and stuff. And of course, we were there for each other and, and, and whatnot. But that I'm boring you. Mm-hmm. This is a burden. I'm a bummer. Like yeah. that kicks in. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes I just I don't want to have to be diplomatic. Yeah. You know, it, which is my sort of my nature, you know, and, and I think if, for people who have who have grown up and this is something I've learned in therapy <laughs> from my therapist is that for people who have grown up in a chaotic with someone chaotic who's, you know, uh, either manic or bipolar or, or whatever, that you develop these diplomacy skills of just diffusing, like yeah. diffuse this, mm-hmm. like just just what wire do I need to cut to just make this stop? Yeah, you know, and that can be a short term victory, but a mm-hmm. long term poor strategy for yeah. your own mental health. Sometimes, you know, um, and so so some. I, I I mean, I will always n- love going to therapy just to have that like not uh to be able to talk without any sort of guilt yeah uh, i will always appreciate that but i'm i'm trying to be a little bit more strategic now with mm-hmm. my therapy of 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 not just getting into my sad space and you know and rolling around in it but it's like all right what am i what was i thinking about yesterday like mm. what was the thing that was bothering me what's the problem i was trying to address a couple days ago and talk about that as opposed to just this is what i'm feeling today like yeah. I, like not in the, this homework necessarily but just on the subway ride over just like all right what is it that i actually what would be helpful to talk about cuz yeah. i could talk about something my dad does that pisses me off sure i could do that mm-hmm. to what end he's a 79 year old dude it's like, <laughs> not, like, he's, not changing yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, you yeah. know yeah, i love my dad but <laughs> yeah. but uh you know what is the actual what's something that might be productive yeah um do you now that you're the only one really dealing with your mother is that she passed away oh she passed away yeah, she i'm passed sorry away. no that. it's fine it's, i it is what it I, is I, I you know i'm not, this is sometimes where I, this is where a lot of the guilt comes in mm-hmm. best day of my life <laughs> oh boy yeah, yeah i don't i mean i don't i don't know how to say it other than that. i mean not I mean that's obviously overstating it. She's my mother, of course. Uh, you know, of she's course. my primary <laughs> female figure. Mm-hmm. But my 
I remember, um, I'm sure you've heard of Mental Illness Happy Hour. Yes. Um, I did that show years ago uh-huh. back when my mother was like really in my life in a, in a negative, negative way. Mm-hmm. And at the end, Paul Gilmartin, you know, he would do this thing where he would ask a bunch of just quick fire, rapid fire questions. And he's like, what are you most afraid of? And I, my, without even thinking, I was like, I'm afraid my mother won't die. <laughs> you know, is that, well, and not so much as she wouldn't, not that I wanted yeah, yeah, yeah. to be dead, but just that I was worried that she was going to become an invalid or, uh-huh. you know, or be yeah. incapacitated. And I was going to have to take care of her mm-hmm. because it just, she brings out everything negative, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. it was a real landmine. And, you know, I, I, so I'm not saying it was the best day of my life, I, yeah. even though I literally just did yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But it was not it was not as traumatic for me as for mm-hmm. other people. Um, it was obviously there was a bunch of logistics stuff I had to deal yeah. with. But uh, but no, I, I don't I don't I feel bad about not feeling bad. Yeah, that's that's really my main problem with that is yeah. that I, I feel rotten because mm-hmm. people are always like, oh, my God, your mother died. And I'm like, I, I feel nothing but a slight sense of relief. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. That uh, I mean, that. I, I would imagine that it is very difficult having having people with mental health issues in your life, and this is the thing that I forgot like twenty minutes ago. Oh yeah. Um, and it's the I think with people who have mental health issues, they need to recognize more and more that the whole bit is that we're difficult to deal with, because like once you have that self awareness, you can kind of start counteracting. Because a lot of the time, I feel like people come from this place of like the world should kind of cater to me in this moment because yeah. I'm someone who has an illness. And it's like at a certain point, there should be a give and a take because of the fact that like it is socially abnormal behavior and to function in society, which everyone presumably wants to do. Like you can go and be in the woods and be by yourself and then make up your own rules. Mm-hmm. But like you have to acknowledge that it's difficult to yeah. deal with. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to feel guilty about that, but you have to like go, okay, how do I make this easier for people? Yeah, I mean, and and again, I feel like what a typical white guy, my mommy was mean or whatever. Well, yeah. But in addition to the, the mental health struggle yeah. she had, she also was a, she's a bit of a grifter. Uh, uh, uh-huh. She was, uh, you know, she, she I, without story. being overly, there was no funeral for her because no one would come. Oh wow! Let's put okay. that way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She had alienated everybody. Yeah, you know, uh, she was living with her twin sister intermittently when she wouldn't kick her out. Mm-hmm. And um, when she, it's funny. I was, I had, I had vocal cord surgery. I had vocal nodes. Mm. And I had them removed, and I had to. We had a, we have a little cabin up in the upstate New York, a little mm-hmm. tiny cabin that we go to up to. And I was there for two weeks. I had to go mm-hmm. up there for two weeks, and I wasn't allowed to speak. And Two days after I got there, I got a call and an email, or whatever, that my mother had disappeared and nobody could find her. Mm. And this was not completely unusual. She would have frequently sort of nobody knows where she is or whatever. And because her sister called me, he's like, "Where's your mom?" Blah blah blah. Also, I need to find your mom because she owes me X amount of dollars. <laughs> but, sure, sure, um, sure. <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, after about a week of trying to search and I can't mm. speak of course and, uh-huh. uh, you know and then she finally she finds she's in a hospital and she's about to have this surgery and she died during surgery mm. um, you know so we did get to speak before we you know before before she passed away and it, I would love to say that it was some real heartwarming mm-hmm. conversation but it was first of all I literally couldn't talk <laughs> like mm-hmm. so I was like yeah okay uh, you know 
Um, but it, like I said, there, there were, it was not a happy time by any mm-hmm. means, but it was just kind of like, I can't believe, I can't believe it's over. Like, I can't mm-hmm. believe that this just went out with such a whimper because yeah. I fully expected that there was this dark cloud of like, someday mm-hmm. I'm going to have to really deal with this person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, sure. Um, do your, as you call them, negative, uh, like emotional habits, how does that, af- if you don't mind me asking, yeah. how does that affect your marriage? Because that's a very intimate relationship. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, my, my, my wife and my mother are in no way alike, but I think that, you know, when people say, oh, women go for their father mm-hmm. or men go for their mother, what they're really saying is, I think to the mm-hmm. to degree that that's true and there's limited use and sort of truisms like that, but is that you look for relationships that feel familiar on yeah. some level. And my wife is as sane as sane gets. I mean, mm-hmm. she's like the most functioning she's the most high functioning person i've ever met period bar none but i have so many times seen her just with a calendar yeah out it's constantly. crazy yeah it's crazy i mean she i mean it's it's it, it's enraging <laughs> but um <laughs> but the similar part of it is that mm. her life is such that there is chaos a i lot see because yeah. especially with qed mm-hmm. but even beforehand she was producing she's doing lots of things you know her dad's in jail for attempted murder yeah uh you know so she's got she she has a bundle of chaos that that she's dealing with mm-hmm. and so i you know i have to remind myself that she's not responsible for whatever shit i'm bringing to the table from mm-hmm. my you know when i was 12 yeah you know yeah, yeah, yeah. um we do okay though i mean mm-hmm. we're we have it's so funny because you know we fight like probably more than a lot of couples mm-hmm. but we you know we've been married for 13 years we've been together for 16 yeah you know i remember i i worked with jim and Janie gaffigan mm-hmm. for a while on a project and they fight I'm mm. sorry. It's probably am I allowed to say that? No, I think. Yeah, I don't but, know. That's really I mean, up to you. No, but they, 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 but they're together forever. Yeah, they're yeah, as in yeah. love as any couple I've ever seen in my life. They have yeah. five children. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's like, whereas a lot of my friends, for a long time in the first few years of my marriage, I thought like, oh God, why don't why don't we have a marriage like they do? Like they never sure, fight, whatever, yeah, yeah. and they all get divorced. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like we. You know, we're on the same team. Like, Camry mm-hmm. and I are like a unit, and the things that she's good at are things that I tend to not be very good at. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, somebody has to be the balloon and somebody has to be the ballast mm-hmm. at times, you know? Yeah. And um, there's certain ways that I'm kind of the weight that keeps her from floating off. Like, when she wants to start a new project, I'm sometimes you need an Eeyore in your life. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, this is maybe not the right idea. Yeah. And, and similar in other capacities, sometimes I need her rigorous functional day-to-day ability to sort of kick life's ass Mm -hmm. that I don't have to keep me from just becoming a fucking, you know, drifting off. And I don't know what I, I don't know what I would become. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for anybody that has similar tendencies to you? None. No. (laughs) No, Well, you know, get back to me in a year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. um, (laughs) Okay. No, but I, I will say if you don't have structure in your life, make it, Mm. make it. Just, you know, even, and it doesn't have to be like punishing yourself. That's the thing too, is that I, I'm trying to not think of structure as punishment. I'm trying to think hmm. of it as a reward. Yeah. But it's like, I get to spend the next hour writing jokes. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, when I used to temp for years, I wrote so much. Mm-hmm. I, because I had a blog at the time, it was in the early days of Blogspot, mm-hmm. you know, blogger. Mm-hmm. And I wrote so much because my choice was to either write on my blog or do the work I was getting paid to do. <laughs> well, clearly that's not going to happen. The minute... 
the writing became the job. Yeah. It started to feel like a burden on some level and I would uh -huh. find ways out of doing it, you know, and, and in budget your time, even if it's like, all right, from 7.30 to 9.30, I'm going to play PlayStation. That's what mm -hmm. I'm going to do. But just give yourself that structure mm -hmm. if, if your life isn't already forcing it on you. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say. Okay. Well, thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate Pleasure's your time. Pleasure's mine. Yeah.